3: Fast talk. Street talk. Talk talk radio.
2: Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
4: Good morning and welcome to the Home of Common Sense right here at Talk Radio. It is, of course, the independent republic of Mike Graham. It's a rather cold and bleak morning out there, so if you need to turn up the heating, uh, you may have my sympathies. And the news today, really, is of a bit of a similar hue. First up, there's a report out on the maternity scandal at Shrewsbury and Telford NHS Trust, where hundreds of babies died or were left brain damaged. And in this week, where we've been uncovering terribly cruel practices in hospitals up and down the country, this can only pile further pressure on Sajid Javid, uh, because he needs to fix the national health service it is entirely broken as if that's not bad enough research published by the king's trust today suggests that satisfaction with the nhs is at its lowest level for 25 years can anybody actually sort this mess out uh, 0344 1000 is the number we're joined uh, this morning by Baroness Claire Fox I'll be asking her what to do with the failing health service and she'll have plenty to say as well about the gender wars that are currently going on we'll also be checking in with Sam Ashworth Hayes he's got the latest from Ukraine we'll be finding out just what is wrong at European ski resorts that might sound a bit of a dilettante question to ask but apparently there's no Russians there the Russians haven't gone to any of these European resorts because they can't go anywhere. 0344 499 Donna Harvey's here to give us the latest news from Hollywood, where they're still reeling from the fallout of that slap by Will Smith. Heaven forbid anybody ever declares war on them. Uh, and it's Prime Minister's Questions today as well. We're joined by broadcaster Daisy McAndrew to dissect the battle between Boris Johnson and Sir Keir Starmer. There may be a mention of Partygate. Which is so boring now, I don't even wish to talk about it, I don't think. 0344 499 1000, you listen to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike
2: Graham on Talk Radio.
4: Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on a rather bleak day. I thought spring had sprung the other day. Claire Fox is here to cheer us all up. Baroness, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Great to be in the studio. Welcome to the Home of Common Sense. Yeah, it's a bit chilly out there, isn't it? It is rather bleak. Just but when you thought, you know.
1: Well, it is going to be spring. And it is. I'm, I look positively. Yes,
4: I try to look positively <laughs> at all things. But I have to say, I mean, we've done all week um, a story that has really touched an awful lot of people and is affecting an awful lot of people. And it's this discovery that we made through a friend of mine, actually, a guy that I've worked with up in the northeast, East, um, who found that he, he couldn't get to see his son, who had had... A, a terrible accident, tried to kill himself, tried to take his own life. He was able to see him, but only for one hour a day. And he was the only person allowed in. So when his mother arrived from Northern Ireland, they wouldn't let her in on the grounds that he'd already had a visitor. And I found that up and down the country, people are having the same problem. In Scotland, apparently nobody's allowed to visit anybody else. And it seems to me that nobody really is being very sensible inside the NHS. And on top of that, today, we've got two reports. One that says satisfaction with the NHS is at an all-time low. Uh, and this other terrible story from Shrewsbury, where the scandal of the maternity ward led to the deaths of hundreds of babies. So I, I,
1: I was thinking about the uh, satisfaction rates mm. really falling because, you know, it, it is the NHS, not only that we clapped, but also that has been, let's be honest, sanctified mm. for decades in some ways. And you have to say... That the NHS is wonderful, or they imagine you want to privatise it, or you want people to die on trolleys—you know that sort of story. Kind of cruel Tory. Exactly, that's generally the rule. I think what did happen in the last two years, and this reflects the fantastic journalism you've been doing this week about visits. I have to say, it's Mm. been a talking point. Everyone I know, so thank you for doing that. Is that people realise that the NHS was both? a great aid when COVID happened, because if you had COVID, there they were and Mm. and they were looking after people and some worked their guts out, lots of NHS staff. But on the other hand, they became a COVID service. Mm. People started to see the cracks in the system. They started to realise that actually, did they put everything into only fighting COVID and what about cancer and what about all the other illnesses? And since the crisis has ended in relation to the virus, you cannot get nhs treatment properly and the visiting is a, is an example of where they've made it like that there's still a covid mm-hmm. service they're still behaving as though in, a, in an inhumane way yes in a way that shows that they've got a very technocratic way of understanding health right. you know we'll 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 give you the medicine yeah. but you're not allowed to see anyone yes well let me tell you when you're ill what you need is your loved ones as exactly well as the medicine right.
4: and we've had so many calls this week from people who've told all sorts of different stories but all of them have, have one thing in common and that is that they're not being allowed something which is really a human right I mean surely you've got of course you can't have you know people inside a hospital ward constantly visiting and I get that but they have to organise it better so that people can come and sit with their elderly mother or their dying father for more than an hour. Of course. You want to I, hold his hand for like all day. You, you,
1: you'll know, and this is one of the things that's been so frustrating over the last couple of years. You know, when, for example, my mum, who had dementia, when she was going into hospital, you know, completely disorientated, she'd had something wrong, you know, basically they were saying, oh, we think she's going to die. You know, me and my sisters are going. Right, and She'd perk up, have a cup yeah. of tea, and she was out again. Right. right, I mean, in other words, you were part of her recovery. You, you helped orientate mm. her. But it's also, as you, the description of things that you said, if somebody is actually desperately in need of cancer interventions at the moment, there are times, I mean, I just know of somebody who's basically been told, well, there's nothing more we can do, but you can get online consultations. So it's also at the level of the kind of medical treatment you're mm. getting, you don't feel as though at the moment, if you got seriously ill, that the NHS is going to be equipped to do absolutely no. everything to keep you alive. And That's I wonder not the when, way.
4: when this, and I know COVID will be the sort of the, the the binding factor, perhaps in all of this, but it must have been in a bad way before that. It revealed it, it yes. rather than
1: it's the cause of it. Yeah. I think what we, we, we began to see something about the NHS. So, so on to this other story now about the terrible story in, in, Shrewsbury, in yeah. Shrewsbury. I think what we see there is is that the NHS has also become very ideological. Mm. And in that instance, they developed an ideology which basically said you are not allowed to have C sections, right. right? And and we only believe in home, but you know, in natural birthing yeah. techniques. Right. And it became an ideological issue rather than it being a question of yeah. what kind of birth which would it you should like. Should never be, right? Absolutely not. But they turned it into that we're the experts. We know what's best for you. Mm. We've had other scandals that relate to uh, parents as it happens or mothers, which is. There are parts of the NHS, it's been revealed, that basically say you have to breastfeed, otherwise you're not a good mother. That's right. And, and some people can't breastfeed. I
4: know mothers who have been really, really sort of traumatised by that because they feel like they've failed. They can't get it to, they can't work it out somehow yeah. it's not for them. Well, I've known I've know?
1: s- situations where the, the the baby has then been had malnutrition because yeah. they couldn't Breastfeed properly, right. the mother gets blamed. Imagine the guilt. I know. But that was an ideological intervention. Right. And of course, we've seen we, we, you, you say about the gender thing. It isn't just some sort of like made up, you know, war on woke story. This. The NHS, as we speak, are saying to people who are going for scans, anyone and everyone, are you pregnant? Yeah. Now, we might think, what a joke. So that means that they're going to say to you, Mike, if you're going for a scan, are you pregnant? Yeah. And we all think, God I, mean, I had
4: guys tweeting me yesterday saying, Well, I haven't had a period for a while. Maybe I am pregnant. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly.
1: But it is one of those world gone mad. But I think in a more serious vein, in the context of what we're saying is, why are the NHS preoccupied with these things? Yes. Only uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, and this actually came from the House of Lords, so because I, I was there when it happened, when Baroness Emma Nicholson actually stood up and revealed that some uh, woman had said that she'd been raped in a single-sex ward, mm. and the uh, NHS said, "Oh, you can't have been raped yes. because it's a single-sex ward." That's right. And she said, "But I was raped." Yeah. And it took
4: and then a, an intervention. And then they eventually revealed, they eventually what happened,
1: revealed right? that there was a. a a trans woman on the wood mm. who actually was a man who right. raped the woman, right? right? Now, but I what mean, I'm saying is that... not it... tell you why oh. that
4: shouldn't be the, be allowed to oh, well, happen, exactly. I don't know what that exactly. is, right?
1: But the, the reason, again, that we're talking about it is to say parts of the NHS have become politicised mm. in a way that's very dangerous. And I think we did see that during COVID as well, which is they became that our way is the only way. Yeah. Anyone who challenged them were in serious trouble. And they brought in rules in which they have been completely inflexible. Mm. And it was almost ideological. You have to accept that. And I I, I think about the fuss that happened in relation to the mandated vaccines. It took quite a lot of energy Mm. by some members of staff at the NHS who said, actually... We don't think you should sack us if we don't no. have a particular medical intervention. Absolutely. And but the that's NA... the problem, isn't it? Because
4: yeah. you start with this germ of an idea, which is, an, and your Academy of Ideas is all about germ of idea uh, and where it goes. But the germ of the idea was. We'll tell you what's best for your health, right? And that became, we'll tell you to get vaccinated. We'll tell you what you should uh, do when you come to the hospital. We'll tell you uh, exactly how to behave when you're on a train. All of that. It's all come from that same idea, isn't it? Yeah, I think the
1: whole public health ethos, which has also dominated the NHS, has been very much a nannying one, Mm. which is there's a sort of sense in which a lot of the NHS, certainly ideologically, believe that, you're in hospital because you did something wrong. Yeah. It, it, you know, there's a kind of like, well, health prevention needs to start at yes. home. So there's a
4: kind of lecturing, hectoring thing. And a lot of people have been affected by that too, because I know loads of people who have said, oh, I don't want to trouble them. You know, I don't want to call the doctor because, you know, they've got other things that they have to do and I'm not really that important. And people become sort of beaten down by that. Well, if you think about going to the
1: doctors, whenever I've been to the GPs, you know, that you, you basically have to fill in that form, which is, you know, how much fatty foods have you had this week? How much exercise have you done? Do you smoke? And, yeah. stuff? and that's like, I've got a bad leg, you know, I just right. want, would you mind? Yeah, could you by the yeah. time you get there, you sort of feel a, that you're living the wrong kind of lifestyle, <laughs> and somehow it must be your fault. And so it becomes almost embarrassing, you know. It, rather than me being stroppy about it, I kind of like, by the time I get in, I'm humiliated enough yes. that I'm like, I'm sorry, doctor, I hate to mention it. I know. But I've got a problem. This is it all right? And, if you and then they're more kind of like, Two minutes with me. Yeah. And also, and then they're sort of like, Well, yes, but you do smoke. And You think, Yeah, but hmm. I've got a bad leg. You know, is that, right. you know, and it's it's unrelated, but somehow there's a tough talk. Oh, no, for sure. Uh, of course, it's sense. great doctors. I don't want to just say they're all like that. But there is something. Patricia, yeah, no, about is, their there intervention. There is a bit of
4: a superciliousness about, you know. I remember um, when one of my kids was born. I was working for the Mirror at the time, and just because, you know, that's how it ha- how it goes in those in those places. People kept sending flowers, you know, um, and I always remember there was this rather strict and stern sort of ward sister uh, as I was holding a bunch of flowers. Um, that I think had been sent by Piers Morgan, actually. Um, She said, you can't have those in here. You can't. It's like a maternity ward. You know, mothers are sitting there happily with their babies. You know, it's not like, you know, a massive, you know, clinical setting. And as she said it, two more huge bouquets arrived behind her. And I'm sorry to say there's some more there. But, you know, it was really nasty. I brought some luncheon for the mother of my son uh, because the food wasn't very nice. And I had a plastic bag which had, you know, some stuff in it from Pret or something. Put it on the floor. She picked it up off the floor and sort of threw it into a cupboard. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, what are you, how, why are you treating me like this? You know, what's going on? This is not, you know, you are not my, my prison warder. Yeah, you know. but you've
1: you reminded me of something, that somebody very close to me when they were, I mean, effectively when they were dying, but we recognised that they ba- basically weren't being given fluids in mm. hospital. Completely dried up really? mouth. up right. started f- taking juices in yeah. and feed. And they started saying, we need to inspect the drink that you're giving the person. Right. And I said, well, if you gave them anything to drink and they weren't dehydrated. Yeah, right. But they were saying, well, is it healthy? You know, mm. they were implying that you, we were kind of like sneaking in illegal substances. Yeah. I.e., And I think and that's, that's what, that's what, a, that's that what is I'm saying. That's, definitely. That's definitely yeah. wrong attitude. But gonna, a, let's just take a little yeah, break for okay. a minute
4: because we've got plenty to do. Loads of time to do it in. Um, we're here, of course, with Claire Fox." academy of ideas lots of ideas we want your ideas as well because we've reached a point surely now where we have to at least admit that lots of parts of the nhs are not working and they need to be fixed let's get it on this is talk radio uncomplicated life rubric
2: for hungry thought thinkers rock the house of commons it's talk radio
1: the home of common sense
4: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Prime Minister's questions coming up a little bit later on. Uh, We did an awful lot on Prince Andrew and the Queen yesterday, so uh, we're probably going to give that a bit of a miss, because what happens if you watch and listen to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, you get tomorrow's news today, uh, because we tell you what the news is going to be in the papers. I mean, I predicted that there would be a huge row about Andrew, uh, and sure enough, there it is. So we don't need to do that. Claire Fox is here. Um, We're talking about the NHS, far more important story than the royal family, to be honest. Um... So what can we do? I mean, I think what we need to do is kind of formulate some form, some kind of plan, don't we? So the only thing that you can say about
1: the period that we've been through in terms of the lockdown period, which almost feels so long ago, but anyway, is to say this is an opportunity to take a long, hard look at our health service. And one of the good things about some of these criticisms is it was a ring fence story. Mm. You just couldn't debate it. I think the government have got to take the opportunity of saying, actually, people want a national conversation now, yeah. and let's start talking about it. Now, I wouldn't know how to run a health service. Mm. I do know that there's layers and no, layers of... That doesn't of, disqualify you, because no, it's exactly, easy to lay. Exactly. But I, do, I can tell already that there's layers and layers of management that should be removed. Yeah. You can tell already that what you need to do is to increase the staffing on the front line... But not with people who've got degrees necessarily, but to bring Mm. in all sorts of frontline staff and actually do the job of caring, you know. We had had a caller yesterday
4: who told us that her um, daughter was working in the NHS and her line manager used to sell BMWs. And you go, well, I'm sure he's very good at that. But that may be not the right sort of person to run a hospital ward.
1: Well, it's been seen as a kind of management by people who don't know anything about healthcare. But healthcare has to be front and centre. Cut the ideological stuff Mm. out. Yeah. All I'm saying is I'm sure it's complicated. It's a national health service Mm. and we live in a complicated society. But if you actually say we're going to re-look at every single aspect of it and say what do we need to do better, that would help. At the the moment, they've got to go back to normal. They've got to let visits happen. They've got to open all the GP surgeries. They've got to get rid of all the COVID stuff so that we at least go back to normal. So then we can critique the normal.
4: Yes, because the weird thing for me, and we'll talk about this later on in the show, and I don't know why it's happening, and we'll hopefully find an answer. In Scotland, for example, they've now got more people in hospital with COVID than they've ever had. Yeah. Now, two questions there. One, well, hang, how is that possible if they've had all these restrictions? And two, why, what are they doing in hospital? Because the new variant is not meant to be particularly bad. Yes, and I don't say that
1: I understand that. But when you actually get a situation like yesterday, where the Secretary of Health basically says if you've got a cold you should stay off work yeah. and starts imposing these kind of like real restrictions. No. I mean, it's not a mandate or a law, but nonetheless, it means that people will be preoccupied with their own health and that's not good no. in my opinion. I think we've got to learn to live with being ill occasionally exactly. and getting out well, and about. Well,
4: it's counter to what my kids were told at school only as recently as last year, which is if you've got a cold, you have to come to school.
1: Yeah, well... you're it, kind of going,
4: oh, right, so but if I've got a cold, I can't go to work. Exactly. But also,
1: but we've just got to live with having illnesses that we can all live with. I mean, you know, when I was a teacher, you you, you taught while you were ill, didn't yeah. you? I mean, what, what are you going to well, do, I say, mean, every, oh, I remember, phone in and go, oh, I don't feel ill well. I remember every well.
4: September when my kids were sort of at primary school, we'd all get ill because they'd all come back with all manner of horrible things yeah. that had been germinated in the, in the, in the, yeah. you know, the school toilets or whatever. Yeah. And we'd all be ill for about the whole yes. month of September every year.
1: Yeah. And then that sometimes when you're actually properly ill, you need to have time off. That's yeah. to recover. We yeah. know that. But right. we don't want to encourage people to be preoccupied in a kind of almost like a self-obsessed way yeah. with how do I feel today? Am I well? Yes. Now, that's been one of the downsides of the COVID stuff, I think, that people have become preoccupied mm-hmm. with. I mean, and, you imagine that's what people would do yeah. with testing. How do I feel? Yes.
4: And they've also, I think we've also raised a generation of what I would call, I don't know if it's Generation X or the millennials, but sort of some, somewhere in their 20s, people who think if they're ill, it's terrible. Whereas as opposed to what you and I would say is, well, we get ill. That's, well, that's what happens. You yeah. get ill, you move on. Yeah. You know, you're not dying. You're fine.
1: No, and I, you look forward to having a lion at the weekend if you're lucky yeah. to get over right. it. But you don't have days off work. No.
4: but it, I, I also, are the same people that take their birthday off. Yeah,
1: but I think that young people, uh, the problem is we're socialising them into this, aren't we? Because no. we're telling them officially... If you don't feel well, you should take time off, right? Yeah. And I'm saying, don't say that to them. No. Say work through it, yeah, right? Yeah, get through it. Get on with it. You know, yeah. take yeah.
4: some responsibility, make some money,
1: have a good life. But it's also when you've got students who are basically told by their lecturers during that time, oh, well, you can't, we're not going to do face-to-face because we're worried mm. about health. Right. That's much more important than universities. Imagine now being a university lecturer you actually got your face to face on and a lot of students say, oh, I didn't feel well, yeah. so I didn't come. Didn't and, come then you, and then you go, well, where did they get that idea? Oh, maybe it was us yes. when we were saying the same oh, thing,
4: right? Unbelievable. Listen, I can't let you go without the gender question. Um, apparently, Wes Streeting was applauded this morning by Julie hartley because he was actually able to uh, identify what a woman was. First Labour Party um, MP, I think he's managed to do that. He'll probably be suspended later this afternoon uh, for saying that, yes, a man has a penis and a woman has a vagina. I think that uh, Wes uh, has been very sensible on this, actually,
1: for a while. It's good to have a straight-talking MP. I don't want to congratulate a politician <laughs> for recognising what a man is and what a right, woman is. I know. You know, it's like it's one specific, of those things that it? I want to critique Wes Streeting on something a bit more interesting yes. or congratulate him if he does something good. Yeah. But we have got into a situation whereby we cannot speak what is obviously true And it's fine for West Streeting to do it, but when you think about those athletes who've basically been told now, the cyclists Mm. have been told, if you were to criticise the fact that a transgender woman is cycling and and therefore will have a huge advantage over the female athletes.
4: Do they have a crossbar or do they not count anymore? Oh, God.
1: (laughs) I'd forgotten those days for a start off. But anyway, but but they've basically been told they can't criticise it. People are actually frightened of speaking out. I think that, therefore, the abdication of leadership by the Labour Party in refusing to give a lead on this, to actually accommodating to something. Because, you see, they aren't even, as you might have noticed, arguing a strong pro-trans identity. What they're doing is evading the question Mm. and accusing people, or saying, why are you being so trivial by asking about penises? I don't want to talk about body parts. And it's like, well, nobody wants to talk about body parts. But when a woman is reduced... Or when you're described as, you know, chest feeders and all these kind of things, right? And that the the cervix becomes a matter of national conversation, and uteruses and all the rest. When that, actually, we didn't do that. We used to just go men and women, right? We didn't need to do that because we all knew what we were talking about. So I think it's the cowardice of the political elite that Mm. they won't actually give a lead on this. And if they're going to come out full trans identity supporters, then argue that clearly as right. well so we can critique them. Don't try and make... Don't try and don't gas light, gaslight the rest of us by saying we don't know what you're talking yeah. about, why you're making a fuss. Right. This is your culture wars mm. obsession. This is a defining feature of politics that politicians won't say what they know right. to be true. And by the way, the Labour Party in particular is losing women activists hand over fist mm. And if you know anything about the Labour Party over the years, women activists have been the backbone of the Labour Party. They've been the organisers. They're the ones who... They're always tougher, in a way. Yeah, cool. They're they're the ones who kind of really make things happen. The fact that those people are just saying, I'm leaving this party. I'm not having anything to do with you. Your lack of courage on this. And the real consequences are that women are now defensively trying to explain who they are and why their experiences mm. as a woman. Yeah. And it's embarrassing. I don't want to have to go, did no. you know that as a woman this is what happens? You know right. what I mean? Like, I don't, well, you, it's because like,
4: surely equality in the end is that we're all the same. We're all treated the same
1: way. Yeah. And actually, the basis on which women were denied equal rights was actually because of their biology, because yeah. historically women were told that they couldn't work because mm. they were naturally and biologically the people who had children and therefore should stay at home. So actually the basis on which oppression has occurred historically mm. has been that biological reality. So to deny that it's a feature at Mm. all means that you can't have a sense of what equality is because
4: we've fought to overcome that right right it's absolutely bonkers we could talk for hours claire we must do it again thank you very much for popping in we'll see you soon baroness fox of buckley she's director of the academy of ideas is a great organization follow her on twitter uh follow us on twitter as well follow us all the way through the day uh we've got some news headlines coming next The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Accept no substitutes. Listen online. Watch it
2: live on your smart TV.
1: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham.
4: Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Prime Minister's questions coming up. Daisy McAndrew is going to be here with us for that. Uh, don't forget, you can watch it all as it happens live right here. Boris Johnson, Keir Starmer and all the rest of the people inside the chamber. Uh, you can see it on Apple TV, on Recruiting, on Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku. YouTube now, of course, on Amazon Fire TV. Soon to be on Talk TV as well, which is launching... Very, very soon. Uh, It's getting very exciting here uh, at Talk Radio. Just go to the App Store and download the Talk Radio TV app or go to talkradio.tv where you can watch all the way through the day, all the way through the evening, all the way through the morning. It's a wonderful thing. It's a thing of great beauty. Uh, Big story breaking this morning, just as our show started, of course, uh, is this terrible report that's coming out of uh, shrewsbury nhs trust in which uh, we're trying to discover exactly what went wrong why the maternity policies were so awful that hundreds of babies died uh, many were left with brain injuries it was very much an ideologically driven um, hospital choice that was being made an awful lot of women affected an awful lot of families affected let's talk now to alex dibble talk radio's deputy news editor um, alex a very good morning to you um one of the key findings of this report
3: Mike, the key finding is that at Shrewsbury and Telford NHS Trust, there was a culture that sought to keep the number of cesarean sections low. And what that meant was women in labour were not offered cesarean sections when they should have been. And that as a result, their babies, hundreds of babies died during or shortly after birth and that many, many more suffered life-changing injuries as a result of uh, the birthing experience. And the lead author of this report, Mike, says that what is astounding is that the Trust carried out inadequate investigations into some of these deaths, failed to learn from those investigations, and also that external bodies that were there specifically to hold Shrewsbury and Telford NHS Trust to account failed to do so. And this happened over many, many years.
4: Yes. I see that uh, ex-Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt says that the scandal is much worse than he imagined. Um, Hundreds of babies may have lived if the care had been better. I mean, that's a very damning statement, isn't it?
3: It is. Jeremy Hunt, um, you know, commissioned this review. It was then expanded. Its scope was widened by Matt Hancock, the following Health Secretary. But the report looked into 1,592 clinical incidents relating to 1,486 families. So that is the number of people we're talking about um, that were affected. And this happened between the year 2000 and the year 2019, so almost over two decades. And these failures were repeated and repeated and repeated because They didn't learn from them. The trust didn't learn from them. There was poor staffing, a lack of staff, a lack of training. And as I previously mentioned, those investigations that were done into some of the deaths were not done adequately. And there was, the report says, a a pride in the trust that the number of cesarean sections was low and that natural births was something that they uh, wanted to facilitate and that this was almost like a badge of honour in relation to Mm. other trusts around the country. And it was that problem that meant that when women were in need of a C-section to save the life of their baby, they were not offered one.
4: No. And according to uh, the the report I'm seeing here, uh, they highlighted the failures that continually happened because there was a failure to properly monitor babies, repeated failure to learn from mistakes, failure to properly assess the risk of patients. I mean, it's just dreadful. And in many cases, some of the mothers themselves were blamed for the deaths of their own children.
3: Yes, indeed. And and that's meant that the trauma that those mothers and their families have experienced, fathers as well, of course, has been all the greater. And that when they raise concerns, sometimes Uh, In some cases, they were told that an investigation wouldn't be carried out, that it was just a one-off event, when in fact that, of course, was not the case, that there were hundreds of others who were experiencing similar traumatic experiences. Um, In some cases, they were told that an investigation wouldn't be carried out, but then one was carried out without their knowledge or involvement. Um, And also that the findings of the investigations that were carried out were that These were isolated incidents when when the the opposite was true. It's worth saying, Mike, that the report by Donna Ockenden, a maternity specialist and her team, has identified a catalogue of recommendations.
4: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
3: ...and things that need to change, including at the trust specifically, but also across the entire... Uh, maternity services in NHS England so for example there needs to be 15 immediate actions including a long-term investment plan to ensure that maternity units are well staffed the lack of staff being one uh, big problem at Shrewsbury and Telford every trust the report says should have a patient safety specialist for maternity services and there should be bereavement services seven days a week but all of these things the report says Amount to systemic changes that are required across England and across the maternity units that we have in this country.
4: Absolutely. Alex, thanks very much indeed. Alex Dibble there, Talk Radio's deputy news editor, reporting in uh, on this report uh, by the midwife, um, Sarah Ockenden, uh, who's basically said that there's been so many, Donna Ockenden, I should say, sorry, there's been so many errors, so much neglect, so much uh, of a culture uh, of mistakes, a culture of blame, a culture of just disregard really for the health of not only mothers but of the children 200 and more died as a result of these kinds of policies absolutely shocking and in the light of what we've been saying about the nhs this week i think this really does kind of focus the mind and should focus sajid javid's mind i mean clearly sajid javid the national uh, health service boss for want of a better phrase he's the secretary of state for health in this country he says that many of these failings have now been corrected and they're not happening anymore but well, that's fine But there's an awful lot else in the NHS that still needs to be corrected. We'll still keep taking your calls today on your experiences with the NHS, particularly visiting relatives, particularly visiting in hospitals. And also, generally speaking, just how GPs are working. I think we need to put together a catalogue of where the NHS is failing and present it to Sajid Javid and say, look, this is what we found. We had Claire Fox in earlier on. She said, everybody's talking about this because we started this particular uh, sharabang. We started this particular cause. And we will fight this cause because I think it's a worthy one. And for all of you who have had trouble dealing with the kind of officiousness of some of the people that work in the NHS, I think it's time we stopped looking at it all through rose-tinted glasses. It's time we realised that the NHS is not working. Time to fix it. Let's get on with it. This is Talk Radio.
2: Unrivaled talk talk radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
4: Good morning, welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, the home of Common Sense, the place you find the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's a bit of a cold and bleak morning out there. If you were expecting spring to have sprung, well, it did spring, uh, and it's now gone away again. So we're not going to be back to that until about sometime a week from now. So far this morning, we've been listening uh, to the maternity scandal at Shrewsbury and Telford NHS Trust. A terrible story of neglect, a terrible story of an ideologically run hospital unit. A terrible story of death and destruction and despair. Women lost their children. Women lost their babies. Over 200 babies died. Many more uh, were served up uh, with, I'm afraid, brain damage as a result uh, of not being properly treated by the medical staff at that particular hospital, Shrewsbury and Telford NHS Trust. Uh, A report was, um, an inquiry was ordered by Jeremy Hunt when he was the health secretary, and now the results are out, and it is a terrible, terrible indictment, I have to say, on the NHS once more in the week when we uh, have been asking questions about the NHS, about why the NHS works the way that it does, why it seems to be so draconian in the way that it treats people, not just patients, but also patients' relatives. Many of you have told us all week how difficult it's been to see relatives inside hospital wards, Bernard Sparks, the man that started the whole story because of what happened to his son, uh, has given us an update. We'll bring you that in this hour. We'll also be talking in this hour to Andrew McDonald, who's a virologist at the University of Leeds. We want to ask him some questions about where we are with COVID right now, because we're hearing from Scotland, for example, that they've never had more COVID cases in hospital than they've got now doesn't really make any sense does it i know more and more people who are getting the latest variant of covid uh, seemingly not doing them too much harm but there does seem to be a lot of it about so we shall see uh, what is going on meanwhile there's research out from the king's trust which says that satisfaction with the nhs from gps all the way up to uh, hospitals is at its lowest level for 25 years an extraordinary state of affairs. So we'll take your calls on it, please. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand 1000 is the number. Uh, we're going to be talking to Tonya Buxton, who's off on the slopes uh, of uh, a, a mountain somewhere in Europe. But normally, Kersheval is full of the Russians, but the Russians are not there. So it's very quiet. We'll find out why. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand 1000 is the number. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Also, it's Prime Minister's questions coming up today, because it is Wednesday, and Daisy McAndrew will be coming in to help us with that. Boris Johnson versus Sir Keir Starmer, almost bound to be about Partygate, you would imagine, wouldn't you? Let's talk to Andrew McDonald, a virologist at the University of Leeds, first of all. Andrew, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, there was a time when we would talk to you guys pretty much on an hourly basis. I mean, that hasn't been the case for a while. Um, but I just thought it might be good to catch up with sort of where we are, really, because it seems to me, whenever I find that I know more people that have got COVID, it turns out that there's a lot more people who are getting it, um, albeit in in relatively minor forms at the moment. We're calling it on, the, I think we're calling it Delta Cron, aren't we? Um, I'm told in Scotland they've got the highest number of uh, patients in hospital with COVID that they've ever had. So what's going on? So I I think to to, to frame this in the
2: context of of the whole pandemic, where we are right now is that people that would have been dying a year or so ago, thanks to the vaccination process, are not dying, and that society is much more open than it has been um, for for much of the past year or so, again, thanks to this level of immunity mm. that society has got through the vaccination programme. But we've got to be honest, you know, that the virus has evolved. The virus fights back against against humanity. And Omicron, this latest variant, is really, really transmissible. And so what we're seeing is highly transmissible virus in a more open society, and the logical
4: conclusion to that is that we're going to get a large number of cases. Mm. Yes, and, and I understand um, that and I've all, I my understanding of that has always been that you know the more widespread it becomes the less sort of deadly it becomes. But how does that then explain the people in hospital in Scotland? So actually those who say that the
2: the natural evolution of a virus is towards being less harmful that's virologically not correct. Ah. There's no real pressure on this virus to become less harmful. The reason that we see it in general as less harmful is because we as society have got this wall of immunity that we've gathered either from having had the vaccine, having had the infection previously, or a combination of the two. Mm. So you've got a virus hitting a sort of wall of, of immunity, that means that fewer people in general become sick but that is counterbalanced by the fact that this is really really transmissible and so that's why we're still seeing large numbers of people in hospital and unfortunately we're still getting about a thousand deaths a week from this virus so it it's it's not the common cold I think is the take home message.
4: I suppose. Yeah. But I mean, a thousand a week is a lot lower than the number of people that die in every given week anyway, isn't it? I mean, there's about 1500 people dying every day, right?
2: It is. But we're often, you know, we we like to compare this virus to the flu. A lot of people compare it to flu when they're looking at at levels of pathogenicity. In a typical year, we probably get about 1500 deaths from flu. So we're getting. You in a typical know, we're getting
4: year, a I thought in a typical year we got thousands of deaths from flu. Apart from that year where there weren't any. No,
2: no, 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 no. That that is because the flu is bunched in with a whole load of other infections of the respiratory tract. Right. So this is still a harmf- This is still a harmful virus. But if you've had your vaccinations, then you are much, much less likely to be severely ill and to die of the virus than if you are unvaccinated.
4: Isn't isn't still, though, the two main reasons for death, age and and weight? Yes, yes. So, I mean, the people who are in hospital in Scotland, who would they be? Well, predominantly this virus, as we've known
2: throughout, will hospitalise those who are older, those who have comorbidities, and particularly those with compromised immune systems. Right. They are... They have always been, and even with this virus, they are the major grouping of people who, unfortunately, um, will suffer from severe illness yeah. from this virus. But they're not. But they're not restricted. So um, those who are younger, much less likely, but they still can become very ill from the virus. Yeah. And again, it's it's a numbers game, Mike. If you think about it, it might be lower risk to younger people, healthier people. But the larger the number of those people that become infected, the larger number of them will become hospitalized.
4: Yeah. But you see, the thing that I find interesting about all of this is that, you know, we still haven't quite learned what it is that affects people in so many different ways. Because, I mean, I've known plenty of people, as I'm sure you have, over the course of the last two years who have had it. Some of them have, have been quite ill. Some of, none of them, n- nobody I personally know has been in hospital as a result. But, you know, some of them have been quite ill. Some of them are still suffering from, you know, what they would call kind of um, s- symptoms that haven't quite gone away. Um, other yeah. people have simply had a, what seemed like a bit of a sniffle, you know. And I wonder whether there is some area of research that could be done to try and work out exactly why certain people are affected in a different way to others. So, so basically, Mike, you've hit
2: upon one of the holy grails of virology research. What we do here and at that, the Independent
4: Republic, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that—that that is, you know, that is, that it, what we want to understand is why two different—you know—two people can be infected with the same virus. One person gets a relatively mild infection. One person gets hospitalised. Mm. Often, this can be a combination of genetics of the person for example they may they may have a genetic predisposition towards not mounting a particularly effective immune response against a certain virus they may over respond to a virus which can give you um nasty pathology so this this really is the the holy grail of virology is trying to understand why a virus like SARS-CoV-2 can cause such a wide spectrum of disease. And, you know, we, we must, of course, remember that we've only known the existence of this virus for a couple of years. Mm. We don't fully understand how it causes these this range of illness and what is the longer term consequence for people who've been infected with the virus beyond the the respiratory illness that we see as part mm. of the acute infection. This is this is an area of research that even though it's no longer so in the
4: spotlight, is, is carrying on in labs around the world. Right. And as more people become infected, does it then become less dangerous? I mean, I know what you've said earlier is that it doesn't really the, the, the nature of the virus doesn't really change, but if more people have had it, presumably, you know, you'll be less badly affected by it going forward. So, if each time we're infected with the
2: virus, our immune systems will respond either thanks to the vaccination or a previous infection. The memory side of our immune system, which is really key to how our immune system works, will remember that it's seen that virus and it will mount an immune response. So, in theory, that there should be a milder infection, but there's a canny knack for this family of viruses to mess around with the immune system and not leave, not leave a huge memory of their infection and for that memory to, to dwindle over time which is why you often see reinfections with these viruses there's also a, a larger issue with allowing the virus to keep infecting people and that's each time the virus gets inside someone it makes billions of copies of itself And its proofreading ability, if you think like a photocopier, Mm. each time it makes a copy, there's a slight mistake compared to the original. And you've got billions and billions of changes in that virus. So the more that you allow the virus to spread, the more changes in the virus that you allow to occur, which could theoretically lead to a version of the virus that is better able to escape That immunity that we've got. We've seen that with Omicron. It's got changes in that spike protein that's sort of like the key of the virus that unlocks the cell to allow it to get in. That spike is the target for our antibodies. And Omicron has changes to that spike that mean that antibodies are less able to recognize it. So the more that, and this is a worldwide issue, the more we allow the virus to continue to spread, the greater the chance that there will be a new variant of the virus that's either more um, pathogenic more capable of causing disease or better able to escape all that fantastic immunity that we of society have built up that's allowed us to to be pretty free at the moment
4: mm. and because it's coronavirus 19 corona um, COVID-19, it's the 19th version, isn't it, that we've sort of suddenly fallen upon as the big one that we hand, ended up talking about, because pre- presumably the previous 18 uh, weren't that big of a problem.
2: No, so so COVID-19 is that the 19 refers to the year in which it was identified. So there was still
4: 18 before it then?
2: No, it's just, it's just the year it was identified. Oh. So, so there
4: what was, so was COVID-18 then? There, are, there is no COVID 18 Oh, so it's just a COVID. So, so it's just what well, I, I was told. It was a new version of, of a coronavirus of, of which we have had many. So there are so there
2: are many coronaviruses. There's a large family of coronaviruses that infect animals and humans. In fact, much of the common cold is generated from other coronaviruses. Right. So there is there is a virus called SARS one which appeared at the turn of the century and killed many people this is SARS coronavirus 2 and the disease is COVID-19 and the 19 refers to the year that it was um, identified so the virus is SARS coronavirus 2. So COVID-19 was
4: discovered in what year then? So COVID-19
2: is COVID-19 is the disease that is caused by SARS coronavirus 2.
4: Right, but it was discovered in 2019. You're right,
2: yes, you're right to say that there are many coronaviruses right. and thankfully most of them just cause mild sort of cold-like symptoms. It's just a small number of them that can be very dangerous, such as this one right. that we've
4: been suffering. And from. Are, are you any closer to finding out why that's the case, why this one was particularly dangerous? So, again,
2: that is a holy grail of virology research <laughs> at the moment. It, it, so, with these viruses, it really relates to where they, where they replicate, the damage that they cause in the cells in which they replicate. So, basically, these things are parasites. They get inside our cells and they turn them into factories for making billions of copies of themselves. It's the only reason they exist. They're just to recreate themselves. So the diseases that they cause are dictated by whereabouts in your body they can replicate. And we know from this virus that although it's a respiratory infection, we do see pathology with with the heart, with the brain, with other parts of the body. So that probably contributes to the the wider disease caused by this virus. Its ability to evade the immune system Mm some viruses are better than others at doing that and it appears at least with omicron that this virus is really good at hiding getting around our immune system in order to get inside cells and replicate Mm. so you've got a combination of these factors and of course the fact that we were all immune naive to this virus when it first came out some of these other coronaviruses that they've been infecting humans for hundreds of years And so we've built up an immunity against those viruses over time. This is very new into the human population. And certainly this is one of the things we find with viruses. When they make that leap from one species to another species, they tend to run rampant for a while until you get some sort of natural equilibrium in the host. So we've got all of these factors going on. But again, science takes time, unfortunately, And so scientists are still working on trying to answer these questions.
4: Right. Andrew, thanks very much indeed. Andrew McDonald, virologist at the University of Leeds. Uh, A couple of Holy Grail type questions there from me. Uh, The answers to which we don't even know yet is the thing. But it is kind of puzzling, isn't it? Up in Scotland, where they've had all these restrictions, where they've been wearing masks forever, uh, where they've had social distancing, where all sorts of things have been shut down. Uh, They've actually got more cases now than they've ever had. We shall see whether that turns out uh, to be more deaths than they've ever had as well, because it may not be. Obviously, one of the things we know from people going into hospital was that the vast majority of people who did go into hospital uh, came back out again alive. So they didn't die in there. Some of them even caught COVID while they were there. Some of the ones who did die in there didn't die of COVID, but were put down as deaths from COVID. We know all that. Interesting. Always good to get an update on these things. What is it like for you out there, uh, 0344 499 1000? It seems to me there's more and more people getting this new variant, but fewer and fewer people getting it very seriously, it seems to me. We've got lots more to do. We'll take some of your calls on the NHS. What is wrong with it? What can we do to fix it? I'll give you an update on what Bernard Sparks's situation is with his son, who's now being moved out of an ICU unit into another ward. However, that doesn't seem to be a help. And we're still trying to get a statement out of that uh, Sunderland Health Trust because we need to know from them who's telling them that they can't have visitors to people who need help. This is Talk Radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio where we are of course on the cutting edge of technology uh, the cutting edge of media broadcasting we are of course a hybrid station now we're not just a radio station we are a television station and pretty soon talk tv is going to be with us as well and that's going to be absolutely fabulous you are not going to believe how good that's going to be uh right now though you can watch us on tv already uh if you get yourself a samsung tv a flat screen you can watch me in full a glorious color get a 60 inch one Whatever you like, Apple TV, Recruiting, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, YouTube, Amazon Fire. Uh, all you're going to do is download the TalkRadio.tv page or find the app on the App Store, Talk Radio TV, Watch it there. It's fantastic stuff. Now, coming up, we've got PMQs. We've got a real treat for you right now, though, because Tonya Buxton would normally be here uh, on a Wednesday. Um, we're moving things around slightly, and believe it or not, Tonya Buxton is now currently in a place called Courchevel, uh, which is a rather splendid ski resort uh, somewhere in Europe. Um, and she's reporting into us in what possibly is one of the most exotic locations we've ever seen. Tonya, very good morning to you.
0: Good morning, Mike, darling. How are you? Now,
4: listen, you look as if you're in a Bond film out there. I mean, I'm waiting to see the kind of, you know, the Land Rovers coming around the back and somebody shooting you out of a plane. It looks fantastic. How, how's the snow?
0: Well, it's started snowing now. It's complete whiteout, as you can see. Yeah. Like it's just really snowing. Um, and Courchevel is somewhere that is in France, and it's somewhere that's normally full of Russians. Right. Um, it's quite bougie, and all the kind of expensive restaurants are full of Russians. And it is so quiet. Really? They're not here. Right. Yeah, they're not and here. And is that
4: is that because I mean you may not know the answers to it, but is that because they're not allowed to come? They can't leave the country. There's no planes out of there
0: i think it might have something to do with that maybe with their assets being frozen i'm not sure the people i have spoken to though are local businesses right and um they're the ones that are saying that they really they're missing the russians a lot because you know they they do come and they spend quite a lot of money i was speaking to a sommelier in a restaurant um and he, he says that they regularly sell You know bottles of wine for you know 800 a thousand euros to the russian groups that come out and uh, he's not sold a single one this season
4: wow and so i mean that means presumably it's easy to get a table in all of these ritzy restaurants that you guys like to go to uh, and it's no problem um, queuing up for the ski lift
0: Absolutely. It's it's so quiet. There's no one uh, in the ski, on the, on the resort. You can get on the ski list, no problem. Um, and Actually, a lot of the restaurants now are doing kind of a plat du jour. So um, restaurants that possibly that we couldn't normally go to with me and, you know, the kids and everything. Yeah. They're now doing a kind of set menu. So we can go to restaurants we don't normally go to. So it's wow. quite nice. That is
4: nice. And what's your sort of yeah. fa- favoured skiing day? Because some people like to do a bit of skiing in the morning a big of a long lunch in the afternoon and then a tiny tiny bit of skiing in the uh, uh, at the end of the day what's your what's your routine
0: it's, it, that's the kind of thing that i like yeah. unfortunately the kids are ski nuts and i and i even though i did a ski season i can ski really well i can't even keep up with them because they've been skiing since young yeah. so all they want to do is like ski and i'm like i just want another van showed that's my kind of ski holiday
4: <laughs> that's brilliant and i mean presumably the uh, uh the great thing about skiing in france is that you know you've got all the european kind of uh uh, things around you. France, until quite recently, was a bit uptight about the old COVID restrictions. I presume they've all gone, have they?
0: Gone, 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 gone. You know, everyone's Thank got COVID adnesia now. Thank God, I'm so glad it's gone. And I and may it never, ever, ever, ever come back again because, <laughs> you know, you know how I feel about lockdowns and all the restrictions. Yes. Um, but it's very free, it's really nice. Um, it is just, it's just, it's the first time I've, you know, been away for a long time. It's just nice to, to be somewhere else. Do you know, I like said, that. back I to said living that. again.
4: Listen, I, when I was in America and I was driving my sister's car down I 95 uh, on the way to, to go and do some shopping, it's just great to be somewhere else, you know? As yeah. Much, as yeah. great as London is, you need to get away.
0: You do, you do. And it's, it is is really nice. And, it, and I've, you know, i and that mother that took the kids out of school because I felt that they really needed it, yeah. and uh, you know, they, I can see, I can just almost see the kind of stress coming off their shoulders now because, yeah. whether we realise it or not, um, that kind of anxiety and stress has sunk into the bones of a lot of, of the young, mm. um, and I see it a lot, and I can, I can just see the joy coming back. So. Let's start living again, shall yeah. we, Mike?
4: Well, listen, you're the most, um, I would say, elegant skier I think I've ever seen. So well done on the, out- well done on the outfit. And, uh, Thank you, you. You look nice and warm. And, uh, we'll, I am. And we'll see you when you get back. Take care. See you next week. See bye. You, bye. Uh, Tony Buxton reporting in there from Courcheval. Oh, what a great woman she is. And she's normally, of course, sitting here in the studio with me, or she's in Cyprus sometimes, but there she is enjoying herself on the ski slopes of France where there are no further restrictions being put on you, which is great news, isn't it? Because the travel business really needs to get going again. London is in good shape. We were talking earlier to a virologist who was saying, oh, you know, there's still lots of people getting coronavirus and going into hospitals. Well, I'm not sure that people believe that anymore. People are now, um, I would say, being much more normal about the way that they run their lives, the way that they operate. Hardly any masks being worn when I'm on the tube even these days. So... That has changed an awful lot as well. We'll take more of your calls, 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. Peter in Stevenage says, Mike, reference this NHS report. I'm amazed and sickened that those responsible for these actions are not named, shamed, sacked and prosecuted. That's a very good point. We'll find out about that and find out why. That is the case, and if anything is going to change, because I think certainly people should be held responsible for what happened up there in Shrewsbury. Uh, it's a massive scandal. You'll be hearing about it all through the day here at Talk Radio. Also, coming up shortly, Daisy McAndrew is going to be here because she's coming in for Prime Minister's questions. That's going to be a great thing. Boris Johnson talking, no doubt, about the party gate scenario. Uh, what else will Sir Keir Starmer offer up? We shall see. He still doesn't know what a woman is. Will he admit what he doesn't know? Anything else that he doesn't know about, really?